Hello everyone, uh, my name is Matt Phelan. I am back after two episodes of Susan Ferber guest hosting. Um, if you preferred uh, Happiness in Humans without me, please do message me and Susan can take over full time. Um, we're continuing uh, the theme of North American accents um, today because I have the amazing uh, uh, Leslie Fountain with me. How, how are you, Leslie? Really good, thank you, Matt. Although you sound, you just sound, although you, you're not in London anymore, you sound more, I think you sound more like a Londoner than you do um, where you're from. But that's a good opportunity to introduce yourself, Leslie. Yeah. So I was born in Canada, um, spent my formative years there. But I think I've, I've traveled a lot after 18 years in the UK. I think depending on who I'm with, my accent shifts. Um, but actually now, now I, I, I live in Singapore. So it's been, it's quite a journey from, Canada, West Coast Canada, sounding a bit Irish to the UK, and then now to Singapore, where I'm learning Singlish. Are you um, before before we do a proper intro? Are you doing any ice hockey? Is that a thing? Is that a thing in Singapore? Well, I'm glad you asked. Actually, um, yes. So I never thought there'd be ice hockey in the UK, and I, I played there for many years and loved it. Singapore has a national women's team and a national men's team and a pretty good league here. So yes, I play ice hockey here and I've actually had the luxury of playing with a women's team and a fun uh, tournament out here. So it's, it's been great. Yeah, ice hockey, I think is a great way to unite the world. Brilliant, love that. So Leslie, <laughs> we, know, we know where you're from. We know you love your ice hockey. Please introduce yourself. Yeah, okay, so I, I've got a job title, but I must admit, I really don't like job titles. They, they, they really bother me. So my title is uh, Executive Director and Global Practice Lead. Uh, and I work at Foolproof, which is an experience design company, and we're part of a, a Zenzar company. But I guess really what I do now is I, I'm really lucky. I get to convene some really amazing people around the globe, people from a wide range of uh, different practices and disciplines from you know, product strategy, design, uh, research, data scientists, and creative techs. So that, that's kind of what, what my, my the hat I wear now. Um, and then sitting in Singapore, it's been really great because it's half of my time is convening our global team and the other half of my time is really building our practice here in, in Singapore, the team here to service Asia Pacific. And I think where I've been really lucky is working in North America, working in Europe and now working in Asia to, to really truly understand um, the role culture plays uh, and, and, and diversity plays and how important all of that really is and how we understand each other and, and how we design products and services. It's, ma it's massive. Some of our latest data, Leslie, just to share with you on that, is going to be very, very relevant because it, it's um, it's Canada. It's the difference between Canada and America in terms of employee <laughs> happiness. So I'll share it with you now because I think you'll find it interesting. So yeah. the number one thing, no matter what country you're in, is relationships. So that comes up number one, right? Relationships to colleagues across 90 different countries. But the second driver of happiness changes a lot. Um, in um, in America, it is clarity. But if you hop over the border, it's acknowledgement, which which is subtle change, but huge if you were running a if you were running a company or or trying to launch a product or, or something in the differences. So I've not told you that before, but um any does it, any any reflections on that? Yeah, two things are coming up for me. Um I think there's something about acknowledgement and respecting the contribution everyone brings to to whatever it is you're doing. 
Um, so I think acknowledgement to me, it might be that. I mean, I haven't read your, your details. Um, and in respecting and acknowledging everyone who's contributed to a certain outcome also shows trust and transparency, which we know is, is a key topic and underlying probably everything in there is that, that trust, emotional safety uh, and transparency. I think everyone's really yearning for so Leslie, I've, is that, I've, is that close to what you got, or no? It's just it, it, all data is down to interpretation, isn't it? And I, yeah. I, I make a big thing of not presenting data as fact because I believe this is why you end up with conspiracy theories and people challenging <laughs> stuff and so on because we we kind of present data as fact, whereas I I see data as understanding, um, and it's important to look at data and show it and share it in a human way, otherwise. You can prove any data set incorrect, um, and, and I think every data set is out of date by the time it's been recorded. That's true. Um, but, it, but it is an understanding of what those people were feeling and what was happening at that time. So I just see it as as, as light shed on a subject. Um, yeah. But honestly, I'm start. I'm making you work already. Before we do that, we want That's to okay. know. We want to know what makes what makes you happy, Leslie. What makes me happy? Um, yeah, someone I've asked, been asked that before. There's a number of things that make me happy. Um, seeing my daughter smile really makes me happy. I mean that that I think, and hearing her laugh, I think that that's the number one thing for me. Um, I'm not sure what it says about me. The other thing that makes me happy is knowing that I help someone be successful, and however they define success. So helping someone be the best that they can be. Is probably the second thing that makes me happy and which is probably why i do what i do today in terms of um because we were talking about simon sinek before on the prequel um that <laughs> link that links i'm going to link those two up what would be um what would be your why then like is that linked to your happiness for you or is it the same thing or is it different do you have a a simon sinek why on why you work you called it a human um uh, a human design company type a business at, at full yeah. proof what's your why like why do you because you could go and work anywhere in the world couldn't you why are you doing what you do now in foolproof yeah and when, when we we're talking about simon second we we're talking about the, the, the idea of soft skills versus hard skills and actually i wrote something recently around the softer side of design thinking and i think it's really easy to learn a process or a tool right so if you think of designers because I'm, I'm in that industry you can learn how to use Figma, or you can learn how to use Sketch, and you know how to do steps. Everyone can follow steps. But actually, there's a lot of criticism around um, this design thinking now, where everyone's teaching it, McKinsey's teaching it, but people aren't seeing the, the the return that they want. And I think why I brought up Simon Sinek was he criticized using the term soft skills. Um, but actually, it doesn't really matter what we call these skills. I think what's really important is what we value. And for me in design, what I value is the stuff you can't touch. You know it's there when it's there. Sorry, you don't know it's there when it's there, but you know it's not there. Yeah. When it's not there, you know, shit, something's not working here. Um, and it's those soft skills. And those are the ones that I think we, we really have to focus on. So back to your question around, you know, why do I like helping people? I think it's helping people recognize um the the power of um i guess it's 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 around thinking about how resilient they can be i think a lot of people don't realize how resilient they can be 
They don't yeah. realize you can push yourself. I, I mean, I was really fortunate. I was in the Canadian Naval Reserve, so I was in the Navy for four years. And, you know, you do things where you're going on an expedition for 24 hours. You have very little sleep and you're putting out fires. You're doing all these things that you never thought you could physically do, but you quickly realize you can. So there's this thing around, we are very resilient. We just need to create a bit of range. Yeah. Um, and we need to think about how people create that range. How do people try new things? Um, if you create too much, if you step too far outside of your comfort zone as, as a hockey player, um, I look a lot around how do you create that stability for agility and for change? Well, you have to have a lower base, lower center of gravity, right? So how do you translate that into the world of work? How do you create this lower base, lower center of gravity so that if an external force is coming at you, you can either resist it with intention or, or change direction with intention. And so I think there's something around helping people look at how they can increase that range, try new skills, um, and create a, a better base to either resist or move move with purpose. Uh, and so those are hard skills to learn. Um, mm -hmm. I think you call them, you know, your emotional intelligence. Um, but that takes that takes that takes time. That takes practice. That takes courage to try something you've never tried before. Um, which is probably the, the second skill that I think we really need to think about um, to try and increase your base so that you can, you know, respond to things um, with purpose, either resisting a force or changing direction because of a force, COVID being a great example. You have to be willing to try new things. And to try new things, that means you have to be willing to experiment. Yeah. Design thinking is all about experimenting, right? But I think what people forget is experimenting also comes with um, inherently failure. Yeah. To experiment is to make mistakes, learning and grow. And I think that failure, people are afraid of failure. We've, I don't know what's happened to us, right? We're born with this sense of curiosity, but we seem to, we seem to get conditioned out of us, this idea of play and curiosity and trying new things. Um, and, and, and that's one of the things I love with my daughter right now. We're, we're constantly playing and trying to think. She asks me questions and I'm trying to answer how questions. Is, how, old is she, how old is she, Leslie? She's, she's going to be eight soon. Yeah, brilliant age. It is. It's a great age. And they ask you questions. You don't always know the answers. And, you know, you have your daughter screaming at you, Mommy, where are my socks? I can't find my socks. And then I'll scream back at her, Stop yelling at me. If you want to talk to me, come to my room. And then you go, Oh, what am I doing? I'm such, I'm such a hypocrite. Yeah. Um, but that experimenting and trying new things is really important. And, and I think sharing that with our children that, yeah, mommy's not perfect. I make mistakes, but it's owning those mistakes and making sure that there's emotional safety to make yeah. mistakes um, and learn from them. And I think that that's, you know, it's, it's that is what I think wakes me up in the morning is helping people create that, that base, helping people experiment and know it's safe to experiment and helping people start to think about empathy and their own self-awareness in a place where they they're safe. When when you talk about the base, Leslie, because um, yeah. we have a lot of HR people listen to this show. Um, what are you referring to? Are you talking about skills? You're talking about what? Can you just articulate what you see in your head when you talk about the base? The base does have some skills. There are some skills. So whatever your role is, if you're a designer, it's going to be those design skills. If you're a developer, those developer skills. So that's part of your base. Um, and that helps, right? If, if you're learning something new, um, knowing what you already know and only learning one new thing at a time helps, right? So that's part of your base. The other part of your base is understanding 
um, whatever it is you're about to do, right? So if you're working for a client or a project, it's understanding that subject matter area. So that's part of your base as well, which isn't your technical skills. That's the, what the heck are we doing here? And what are we trying to, to, to get out of this? So um, I do think to your point around the US likes clarity, I think there's something important around having a clear brief. So understanding what it is we're about to do, what are we embarking on and what's the outcome? Um, and the other part of the base is, is those soft skills, being really aware of who I am and what I bring to, to any project, recognizing this is what I can do, this is what's new to me. So, hey guys, this I'm confident in, this I'm gonna be trying. Yeah. So work with me here. So I think that base is there's your, your emotional skills, your business skills and your technical skills. And uh, it's really good to, to, to hear how you visualize that because you, you see it as a real melting pot that's changing. Um, yes. so, no, it's good good to get clarity on that. You touched on something that I didn't know about the um, about you, which was the four years in the Canadian is it Canadian Reserve? Did you say Naval Reserves in the Navy? Yeah. So I've got a question for you on that, which I think a lot of people at the moment are really struggling. Not be the wrong word, but leaders that are trying to get the balance right of, of, of a new understanding of mental health and mental fitness yes. and resilience, because like you said. And, and I struggle this with my own children, um, which is, you know that from your experience that you've been able to push yourself further um, than you thought was possible, right? So that yes. in many circumstances could, can be a positive, but then also um, there's the, the mental health implications of putting yourself into situations that, that you shouldn't be. Um, how do we balance all that out? And I know I'm asking you a question <laughs> It's incredibly difficult, but I just think even knowing where you are on it would would help some of our listeners, Leslie, as 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 you are a leader, a respected leader in 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 your field. Do you know there is something we do actually? Um, I wish I could kind of sh show you. Um, and I bring it back to sports psychology. So there's your um, the Yerkes Dodson thing around uh, arousal theory. We make all sorts of jokes around that title. Um, yeah. But they, they talk about it, <laughs> and it's and it's been you know it's been criti heavily criticised as well as the comfort zone theory, and that they're intertwined. Which is it's saying is, if you think of the arousal theory, too much arousal, and you're 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 stressed. You hear about you know some athletes will choke, they freeze. It's just too yeah. much, um, overwhelmed, and that's where I think you get into to mental health issues. And then not enough, you're bored. You look yeah. for distraction and potentially you have a bad behaviors or maybe some bad distractions come out. Yeah. Both ends of those are not good. So, yeah. And it's an inverted U scale. That U for some people is very narrow. So that range isn't very big. For others, it's a bigger range. I know yeah. I have quite a big range for that, but the peak is also different. And so the really important thing, which is why I'll talk about building that range, experimenting, but also self-awareness. All those three things have to play equally together. So it's really important for people to start thinking about what is my base now and how much can I step outside of that comfort zone? So yeah. one of the things we actually do on projects, because actually a colleague of mine was working on something and she she froze. She said, Leslie, this is the worst thing I've ever had to do. And I said, okay, let's break it down for a moment. So um, we took it down and said, what are, this is what we need to do. What are all the skills needed on this project with this client. So what subject matter skills do we have? It was actually a really amazing project with uh, National Museum of Singapore. It was all around dementia and how do we create physical spaces with people for dementia? 
And we broke down all of the skills, capabilities, and knowledge and behaviors we needed for that. And then I reminded her, okay, this is you. Wow, you can see there's some big gaps. That's pretty scary. That was creating a lot of anxiety for her. Okay, who else is on the project team? So we got them to fill this out as well. So imagine you have this, these really nice spidergrams of these skills. And we started to overlay those spidergrams and say, okay, as a team, actually, your gaps are not that big. Mm. And so what we're able to do as a project team or as an individual is where are your gaps and how do we help you fill those gaps? And so I've always said, and, and I've I, I worked with a few people at Foolproof who have uh, different, uh, we call neurodiversity, have neurodiversity. Yeah. And one of my colleagues, too many unknowns or too big a step outside of that comfort zone or think of that spider gram, it's too much. But yeah. one, she's like, I can do one, but I can't do more than one. I'm like, okay, let's break it down. And this is something we actually actively do on projects and on project teams. And, and we've even tried to do it with our clients as well to make sure, do we have the right knowledge, skills, and behaviors for this project? Where are the gaps? Do we need to bring someone in? Um, but you don't want to have too much where there isn't any learning because no, um, a little bit of stress is good, right? Because you want to be yeah. high performing. Uh, and so that's how that's genuinely how, how we do it. And that really helps sort of calm nerves and go, okay, no, Love I that. do have the right building blocks and we do it with our with our daughter as well my husband and my daughter has um lots of different challenges from from her her life and so we start going what are those building blocks and what building blocks does she have what does she, doesn't she have and how do we fill those building blocks before we build the next layer uh, and you can do it at work but but you need that emotional safety to have those conversations with teams and they feel comfortable having those conversations with me no i love that that's su that's such good practical advice lizzie because that's that's almost what you're what i'm hearing from what you're describing and that's almost um organized empathy in the fact yes. that you are using a system to bring out understanding of your colleagues mm -hmm. so that you go about the task in the in the way that everyone can achieve in the best possible way without having a a monoculture that says you've got to do it this way have i have i heard what you've described yes and i feel it everyone fills it out because actually right. the beauty of that is i might have the most years experience and a grandiose job title, but there are things that I can, I don't have. My my spidergram isn't full. There are gaps in mine, and yes. it's, what's nice is go away. Talk to some of our juniors. Going, I, I have a gap in here. Can you help me? And I've actually had to say that I've never done this. Can you help me? Um, but you need, I think, you need leaders, um, whether it's a project manager or or a CEO, to be comfortable saying that. Yeah. Can you help me? I I have this gap. So Leslie, we've not even got to question one yet. <laughs> <laughs> Which means um, we we have touched on most of the subjects here, though. But emotional emotional intelligence, EQ skills in design. Have you got any, any anything to add to that? Add to that conversation for for our listeners. Yeah, I think so. I, I did talk about um, again understanding your range and and, and experimentation and, and and trust. I think. Um, I think the other thing that's missing is the word empathy gets thrown around a lot, but I'm not sure it's really understood when we talk about empathy. Um, and when I think about empathy, I've kind of broke it down into two easily understandable chunks. I mean, I can't take credit for it, um, but I'll talk about self-awareness and social awareness. And I think they're really, really helpful and there's really easy tricks you can do. So self-awareness is just really understanding what are my own values, emotions, beliefs, and biases, like I, I think in this world of diversity, um, we all have cultural biases, but it's, it's do you recognize them and what do you do about them? Yeah. 
And because those biases, particularly in, in human-centered design, when you're doing research, if you make assumptions as what you hear or see, that could negatively impact the designs that you do and not get the right outcome for your clients and their customers. So this emotional question is around really being clear on who you are. So I do something here at Foolproof is I'll do something about what am I bringing to this meeting? And so as a team, it's really easy. You just get your thumb, imagine thumb up, thumb sort of horizontal or thumb down. And yeah. it's really about, hey, what am I bringing to this meeting? And that's kind of thinking about your energy. It's good, it's high, however you want to define it. So I'm not telling you how to define it, it's up to you. It's, it's sort of neutral or it's down. Yeah. And what it allows us to do is say, guys, just show me your thumb. What are you bringing to this meeting? And you can do it when you're remote if people are comfortable putting on their, on their cameras or they can use the little the little uh, emoji icons. Um, and what it allows you to do is to start recognizing the energy. And I think um, I think you've known me well. I've got a lot of fire in me, a lot yeah, of energy. Absolutely. It can be great, right? It motivates people. I was a, like a team captain of a sports team. It's great for motivation and inspiration. But if you've got a really nitty-gritty problem, and people are trying to really talk about a tough conversation. Having a cheerleader on too much caffeine is really <laughs> distracting. It's the worst yep. thing. So that we all have to recognize often our biggest strength is our biggest weakness. So what that allows me to do is saying, okay, wait a minute. And, th and there was one meeting where I had a lot of energy, but I was the only one. I'm like, okay, Leslie, I've had three cups of coffee. I'm excited because we won this great pitch. I got to just yep. tone it down. So that's a great thing and you just tone it down and you start to understand but you also gives people a chance to share if they want to share so that little trick lets me know what am i bringing to the meeting and what's my energy yeah. level how might it distract from the meeting but it also then helps me start to think about that social awareness what's the energy of the group we're about to meet with and it's a quick easy way to just get people starting to think about social uh, and self-awareness I love that because I, I, the power of nonverbal communication as well in that, isn't it? Because my my son's nursery teach them Makaton, so sign language. So it's going to be really difficult to do this on a podcast where people can't see us, but um, I'll try and describe it. For the, so that the, Freddie will sometimes describe to me when he's sad in sign language. So sad in sign language is where you present um, the outside of your palm um, and it starts at the top of your head and goes down, um, which sometimes a child just needs to communicate, but they might not do it in the best way using their language because they don't have the same language to say, do you know what, can I just have some some moments? Can, can you just leave me alone, basically? A four-year-old communicating that can come across and start an argument with their parents. But if, you, if a child just does that, it's really good because um it allows you to pick up how they're feeling in a different way because it just not everyone always wants you to fix the problem do that and i think a lot of leaders in business that's one of my problems i always want to get in there and fix the problem but sometimes people just need space and that's why i love what you described because it's got the different style of communication in there um so moving forward um, in terms of one of the reasons I asked you to come on, Leslie, is I saw you post on humanizing artificial intelligence or humanizing AI. Um, such an interesting subject within the world of work. Um, yes. Why have you posted on that? What's your thoughts on it? Have you got any, um, any views that you'd like to share? Yeah, and actually it's, um, they're not fully finished. Um, so I'll share some some 
still to be finished thinking but actually in sharing i think that's helps helps us sort of progress it and bringing more people to the conversation is always good and i think i think so, if we had our great greek philosophers on here they would say there's no there's no ever finishing of of, of thinking is there it's always going to be more that's true thank you that's true um so at foolproof actually we've got a data science team um and we're part of Zenzar Technologies, right? So there's there's still a data science team in Zenzar, uh, but their focus is more around the, the tech technology and analytics. But I'm looking at data science and AI as a design um, practice, not as a pure sort of just, just optimization. Um, so I think AI is potentially an amazing tool, or sorry, I should say machine learning, right? Because it's not... Yeah. No, nowhere near AI yet. In fact, it's algorithms and decision trees is what we've got right now. And they are written by humans. So whatever biases and flaws we have okay. as human beings are in the algorithm. And, and actually, let me go back. I, I watch Coded um, Biases. If you haven't watched it on Netflix, you have to see it by a really interesting group of women who, which is nice to see a, see a, a women in technology. Um, and one of the things they will complain about is, oh, alg algorithms have all these biases. I was just say, oh, actually, no, the algorithms don't. It's the data sets that do. So we have to be very careful. So yeah. algorithms don't have necessarily bias. It's the data sets that have the bias. Um, and so what I think is super interesting is in the future, we're not going to probably have graphical user interface designers, right? Graphic design and user interface design is going to slowly go away because it's 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 not going to be what it is today. So I think the future of design is the future of these data sets. It's the future of going, what is the outcome we're actually trying to achieve for human beings? And what are the indicators that we're getting there? So we, we've been doing some work in education, for example. And one of the, the data sets we've always collected, I think, in the past is things like attendance, scores on exams, they're very binary pass fail here or not. But what we're really missing is this qualitative data around how do people ask questions? Because how you ask a question and how you take notes is a better indicator of learning and understanding than, than, a, than a quiz result or a test result. Yeah. And the beauty of technology, so you have voice recognition and hand recognition is actually, um, it can start to interpret that for us, right? Not, let's not say interpret, it can start to collect it for us. Let me rephrase that. Yeah. So technology has much better, better computational power than human beings. It's a much better recall than human beings. A teacher, I probably won't remember how you asked questions four months ago and then compare it to how you ask questions today, but a computer can collect that and compare. So computers are better at memory, recall, computational power, a whole bunch of things. So let them do that for us. Right. Yeah. Let them start looking at what was qualitative. They can now capture for us what humans are good at: our empathy, uh, creativity, inspiration. So let's leverage what human beings are good at. So it's not that computers are going to completely replace or technology completely re replace humans. It's going to augment. It's going to allow us to make better decisions. Um, so I think the future is around as, as designers is around designing those data sets and saying what is those true indications of learning for example in that example and how do we capture that in a way to give better information to teachers who can then make better calls on how are we going to change maybe the, the, the next lecture or how am i going to work with this individual and it could also lead to pers personalized learning so there's a lot of really great stuff out there um, 
but it relies on human beings to be part of that process. Um, my, my colleague Dickin stole it from someone else, and it sort of escapes me, but it's like, you even look at autonomous vehicles, right? Yeah. We, we can drive footless, but we cannot drive handless yet. You still need your hands on the steering wheel, and we definitely can't remove our brains from it. And I think, you know, and I'm stealing this from Dickens, so, you know, give, give yeah. him this. But I think that's really important to remind ourselves is we're not completely hands off or brains off. And actually, we won't be brains off for a long time. Um, but we need to remind ourselves that we put the biases in those data sets, not exactly. the algorithms. And this is why at Full Proof, we're talking a lot about diversity. Um, all sorts of physical, cognitive diversity, cultural diversity, because actually, if we are creating those designs and we're taking that insight, we need that diversity so we don't have biased data sets, yeah. which have been resulting in some of these biases you see um, that we've heard with Facebook and all the problems we've had. It's biases in the data set. We don't have a representative data set. So let's make yeah. sure every company has a representative voice, a representative data set in whatever it is we do. And that's why diversity emotional intelligence um, and understanding what AI is and what it isn't is so critical and we're all responsible for this. There's no one in the world who isn't responsible on those three things. I love I love the last point of responsibility and also the point on almost like diversity of diversity, isn't it? Because like we had um, a professor on who was discussing um, a few episodes back on whether soil can make you happy. And <laughs> But he told me, I don't know if he told me on the podcast or not, but because he's so into, deep into diversity of plants mm. and the ecosystem, when he goes shopping, he's thinking about diversity. So he he will go to the salad aisle and he's thinking, right, what's the greatest level of diversity I can get from these plants? He takes them back, he grinds them up and then puts them on whatever he's eating, whether it's his pizza, his porridge, because he's thinking, I need I need diversity in my body to be healthy so i was like wow that's there's 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 the obvious diversity stuff but there's 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 more levels of it isn't there that you're talking about and data is part of that yeah yes and i'm not an expert right like just just say i'm not a, a data science expert um but um it's just things i'm seeing um i'm seeing in the world and sensing in the world and that we need, we need. To, I think that's why I think self-awareness, social awareness is so key, and diversity is so key. And diversity is going to help you, right? Like you talk to people from different religions, different cultures, different disciplines, right? And you learn so much, and you start to remove some of your own biases because you start to understand these different perspectives, and then you become more curious. Um, it's it's just a it's a it's a health a virtuous cycle as opposed to a vicious cycle. So on vicious cycles, Leslie, that brings us into our last question. Let's fast, forward to our, let's fast forward to our children. Let's fast forward, let's go 30 years into the future, right? What that, that will be what, 2051, okay? 2051. Um, AI, design, all this stuff that we, we're talking about here. Um, what sort of future are they gonna live in? Is it gonna be, where are we gonna be? Is it gonna be Terminator 2 Judgment Day? where robots have taken over and said that we're a, we're the worst things on the planet and got rid of us uh, through to Nirvana where we've hacked our brains and we are just living in this state of Nirvana um, all the time. What, what, what do you see? What does, what does it look like for our children, Leslie? Yeah. Um, I'm a forever optimist for anyone who knows me. So I'll, I'll always have those rose colored glasses, you know, um, 
I think we will underestimate where AI can get to because I think we overestimate the ne- you know the next three five years, but we underestimate far future. Yeah. So I think I think it won't be Terminator Two, but I do think it will look like augmented humans. Human yeah. beings will be augmented through technology, um, and I was talking about when yeah. you say augmented. What do you mean? I mean, um, technology will provide us with the better information for us to make better decisions for ourselves. That's what I I think it is. I think it's around human beings will not ever stop completely making decisions. I don't think we'll we'll completely take that decision making, but I think we'll be able to make better decisions for ourselves and for our planet and for our health. if, if, if another reward doesn't happen. So I think, I do think there there are things that are outside of, no, not outside of control. I do think on the political um, sphere, there's some serious conversations that need to be had with world leaders. Um, yeah, that, that, that has to happen on the political stage. Uh, and I think all of us can make a difference uh, so if we continue, I mean, looking at my daughter's school, the things they're teaching her around resilience and creativity and empathy and respect and diversity. I mean, our, our children are being taught this. So there, I think there is hope. There is hope for, for, for us. But we've, 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 we've got to listen to our kids, right? We've got to listen to our children. We've got to equip them. Um, but what you say around the emotions, the vocabulary around emotions or the way of describing emotions to, to get us there. So not Nirvana, not terminator to but i'd like to think a world where we can just make better decisions for ourselves and empower ourselves i love that leslie and we talked about sport at the beginning didn't we and i when you were talking i was imagining concussion is a big conversation in the uk at the moment for for sports players now the the science behind concussion tests and stuff like that is is horrific but i'd like to think that let's say both our children became professional hockey players that there would be better data before a final that says, you know what, little Leslie or little Matt, maybe actually it's better for the rest of your life that you don't play or the opposite, which is actually, you know, you were worried about your head. It's actually fine. Get out there. Um, and I think that that's a good example of getting data to you that we don't currently have. I would, I would say, is that, is that the type of thing you're imagining? Yes. Yep. Yeah. Yes, so, it is. Leslie, I'm going to ask you to go back in time for the last question. Um, okay. Someone's starting their career now. They've just started, They've got their first little bit of responsibility. Um, we talked at the beginning about, you talked about learning and mistakes being important, right? And us not, us not seeing them as necessarily bad. What's the, what's, the, what's the biggest leadership lesson that you've learned where you've kind of done it the wrong way and you've like almost cringed and thought oh i'm gonna move forward on that uh, is is there something that you could share with with someone just starting their career out now on f- from your career that they could learn from like i can and actually i think it was actually at foolproof and i'll be quite quite candid i think when i joined foolproof um it was about it was i was a managing director and in, in, in bringing two businesses together and I was picking up that role from two of the founders and the mistake I made was, oh gosh, they hired me to be managing director. I have to do it all. Yeah. And 
that was my my biggest mistake. And anyone who's listening, who's worked with me, um, you, you'll know. And I think the thing that I finally came to is actually no, I should recognize what I'm good at and where I can create value. But whoever what they're good at and what you know what they should continue to do. So I say, you don't have. In fact, you should never do it all. You should never do it all. Think of your spider gram that I talked about, thinking about where are your gaps, where are your strengths, where are your weaknesses, and who do you need to put around you so that as a team you have it all. I think that is the most important thing. You don't have to do it all, and it's okay not to be able to do it all. Um, and I think that comes from the way I was brought up, and if I love Brene Brown and her work around vulnerability, but I think myself and, and particularly a lot of young women and probably young men as well, this idea of perfectionism is killing us. And I think that I, so I'd say, stop being perfectionist, stop thinking you have to do it all. Um, do start to spend more time thinking about what success means to you. Yeah. What does success mean to you? Does it mean having a great work-life balance? So you've got a wonderful, healthy family. Is it, I, I don't know what it is, but what is success to you and be clear on that and it will change in time, but you don't have to do it all. You don't have to be someone that's not you. And that, that would be, um, I think, I wish I'd sort of, realize that a bit sooner. Leslie, all I want to say is you're an amazing human being. The only thing that I would change about this podcast is that we were that we were on a chairlift having it in the snow. Um, other than um, on video call, but for, I just want to say on behalf of our li listeners, that was so enjoyable. I learned loads. And I think my favorite bit was that last bit at the end. So thank you so much, Leslie. Thank you so much, Matt. And do post that picture of us on the on the chairlift because it, it was good fun and brought back great memories. Only me and you should ever see that picture. <laughs> any, any future political careers will be over if that gets released. But now everyone who's listening is going to want to see that photo. But we'll <laughs> Thanks, Leslie. Thank you so much, Matt.